What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, the big analytic who wants Jim Boylan to get a five-year extension from the Chicago Bulls co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started uh, with the second half of our midseason report card grades for the NBA, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We really appreciate it when we see those numbers go up. Uh, throw us that five-star review. It takes 15 seconds out of your day to search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Leave some feedback in, in the comments section. You can, you can always get at us on Twitter. Uh, if you want as well. We can also be found wherever else your podcasts are gotten to, but iTunes is the best way to let us know that you're out there and that you're listening. If you have not subscribed yet, please do that. If you have not seized your friends, families, frenemies, rando people on the streets, phones, and subscribed them to us as well, we, we highly recommend that as long as you can do it in a safe fashion. That was meant mainly for any randos you might meet on the street. But without further delay, we ask the question that everyone is always dying to know the answer to. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, talk about the Eastern Conference today. Well, that's, I don't think anyone's ever said that before. (laughs) Yeah, as, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought that was like the least convincing thing I've ever said. Yeah, that was really like, I don't... I'm, I don't support lying to our listeners, so. <laughs> uh, try that again. I'm very excited to talk about the Eastern Conference today. That was a better lie, but everyone still knows it's a lie. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I, I guess we should just get right into it. I believe you are you are on Atlanta Hawks key stat duty this time. I am. Um, and I decided to throw you a curveball today. I'm not going to talk about Trey Young's three-point percentage. I mean, so (laughs) here's where I'm at. Um, I I feel like, and I actually tweeted this maybe like two or three weeks ago. I feel like we don't talk about John Collins enough as like the general NBA uh, fan sphere. Um, He is ridiculously productive, especially for the amount of minutes that he plays. Uh, He averages a triple double in Last I checked, not triple-double, <laughs> he averages a double-double. Um, last I checked in under 30 minutes. Right now he's at exactly 30 minutes, averaging 18.8 points and 10.4 rebounds. Um, shooting almost 60% from the field. That's actually down a little bit over the last few weeks. But I did just sort of your typical um, player search, and I did it for his per-possession numbers. So he actually averages 21.7 points, 11.9 rebounds, and 2.8 assists per 75-team possessions. Um, 
there have been 56 seasons in NBA history where all three of those marks were met. And if you sort it by true shooting percentage, he is fourth. The only people ahead of him are 2019 Damana Sabonis, 2017 Nikola Jokic, and 2019 Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, then if you limit the search again to players who are just in their first or second seasons, there's only eight total seasons, and the only person ahead of him, ahead of him is that same 2017 Jokic season. Um, Collins is is legit, and I think the uh, Hawks in general are they're pretty exciting over the last few weeks. Um, I'm coming around on Trey Young. He's, I think he's been a little bit better over the last month or two. Kevin Herter has showed some things. Uh, they have a trio right there in those three guys, and I actually looked up their net rating when those three are on the floor maybe a week or so ago, and it was pretty good. So there there is a definite reason for optimism and encouragement with this young core. And I'm just realizing now that I, I never said they're great. I gave them a C plus. Um, I could probably even be talked into going a little higher than that because I don't, I don't know how we could have expected much more than what they're giving us right now, but, um, they are still 14 and 32. So I'm, I'm docking them a little bit, but I, I, like I said, I think I could probably be talked into like the B minus range. Yeah. Um, I'm with you there. I, when I was doing midseason report card grades for Bleach Report, I gave them, I think a C or a C plus and, I just gave them a B minus now, uh, I, and I gave them a C here the first time around. That's confusing for everyone. I have them at a B minus right now. So um, it, everything you just said, I'm, I'm with you there. I think we've also seen more out of DeAndre Bembry as well as you said, Kevin Herter, Trey Young. You were going to talk about his three point percentage. Here's a flattering Trey Young three point percentage. Um, oh, good stat since December eighth, he is shooting thirty six point nine percent from deep on nearly five attempts per game. And so we're talking about more than a 20-game sample size there. And I picked that date because I believe that's um, the day that they got. They've been getting, like, really good just wins, like whether it was over the Thunder or they're just stealing these random games on the road. And that seems to have coincided with John Collins's return as well. And so he's added kind of this nice pep to their step, so to speak. And so... Um, yeah, like I picked that day because that's when they beat the Nuggets. Like they've just picked up some nice wins over the past month and a half uh, or so. And th- the thing I'm still disarmed by when I watch them is seeing John Collins make more decisions with the ball in his hands. Like whether it's driving or, or taking a jumper, uh, like an unassisted jumper, he's not shooting an incredibly high percentage on those looks, but they're really trying to expand his offensive workload. And, and that's probably the key to him really being able to survive against other postmodern fours since he's undersized for the five, the defensive items with him there when they do in those scant possessions that they do play him at center have not been great. I still wonder where his best position is going to be long-term, but just the way he's coming along offensively right now, it does seem like he'll, he'll be able to be a full-time power forward with, without much issue. And I think you need to give them credit for just their development overall of, of some of these guys. Again, I think Bembry, I haven't left that train yet. A lot of people are out on Torian Prince. I'm not there yet. So I thought they would have been a little bit better defensively this season. But but again, we're, the team is bad, but they're designed to be bad, and there are more than a few bright spots to look at. Yeah, and just to, uh, just to confirm what I said earlier, they are plus 0.9 points per 100 possessions, which is the 56th percentile when Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and John Collins are all on the floor. And they're in the 79th percentile for offense when those three are there. So I think if you had to pick 
Um, if you had to pick three guys to be your young core, I think that would probably be it. And for them to already be positive in year one together is, is really encouraging. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that br- brings us to the Boston Celtics. They are, this is all per cleaning last, 10th in offensive efficiency, 5th in defensive efficiency, 3rd in net rating, and 29 and 18. We both gave them B minuses the first time around, and we are giving them B minuses again. Um, the the Celtics are, I want to say, fine would be the the best word to to sort of really describe them. The kind of offensive struggles that everyone was worried about in the aggregate have really been overblown. It was for basically a few weeks in the season. They are my key stat for them is they are fifth in offensive efficiency per cleaning the glass since the end of November. And so we're talking about a 26-game sample size for them, which which equates to most of the season. What's really been disappointing is not Kyrie Irving. I'll tell you that. he. I've been one of the more reluctant ones to place him in the top 10 player conversations. I think he's there this year. It might be he gets there by the skin of his teeth at number 10 or something. He's been absolutely spectacular better playmaker since he came to Boston trying harder on defense. He's I could we could say he's gotten better on defense, I guess, but it looks like he just tries harder with the way that he handles screens and things like that. And he is just their lifeblood on the offensive end that a guy like Jason Tatum, who's only a sophomore, but he's the closest thing I guess you have to a second offensive lifeline and and Boston's offense craters whenever Kyrie Irving is is off the floor. And yet they've just been disappointing uh to the extent that they're supposed to be drowning in this depth, and they kind of are, but it's also not really working in an overwhelming fashion. Uh, maybe Gordon Hayward, we always should have assumed that he would need the entire year to to sort of get by, but uh, Jalen Brown's been up and down. Uh, he's he's played, I guess, more consistent in, in recent weeks, but not exactly spectacular. Terry Rozier has just absolutely cratered whatever trade value he had and the goodwill he built up during that that playoff stretches last season is kind of gone for the most part his free agency is all of a sudden going to be interesting Uh, Boston is still their bench is still seventh in point differential per 100 possessions I just it they don't scare or intimidate the way that I thought they would and again they've gotten up for some really big games Kyrie Irving's playing really well Jason Tatum's performance is evened out Al Horford is kind of starting to come around but even he's been a roller coaster. It seems like while this team has dealt with some injuries that they're more seesawy than I would have predicted when I don't think either of us had them at first place in the East coming into the season. Neither of us, but both of us definitely did not have them outside the, the top four. No, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't expect them to struggle this much. Um, when I looked them up last night, though, I was a little surprised by this. Can you guess where they rank in the NBA by SRS, which is just uh, point differential plus strength of schedule? Oof. That's a good question. Um, is eight too high? They are fourth. Oh, wow. In the NBA and SRS, which surprised me. That was, that was kind of the same reaction that I had. I was ready to give them – maybe uh, half a grade worse. Um, but I, I think they've quietly just been sort of solid and steady, especially since they made that move to put Marcus Smart um, 
in the starting lineup. It seems like that stabilized things a little bit. Uh, I also ran um, – Marcus Smart, by the way, quietly shooting better than 36% from three. Yeah. On pace, on pace to have a better true shooting percentage than Kemba Walker. <laughs> that I that second part I did not know. That's crazy. Um, I th- it might have been. I don't know if it was this summer at the start of the season. I just asked on Twitter, like how where would Marcus Smart rank among NBA guards if he just shot average? Um, and somebody somebody dug that tweet up like a week or two ago and said, "See, um, and yeah, he's he's been really good. If you do that thing I do where you sort players by their average ranks, he's been comfortably top fifty all season long." Um, so I, I don't think Boston has lived up to the hype that it had coming into this season. I don't, I don't think many people would argue with that. Um, that clip making the rounds a week or so ago of the, the video was like the Celtics fighting on the bench and the audio overlaid over the top of it was Bill Simmons (laughs) on his podcast in the preseason talking about how they were going to win 60 games and there was going to be a ton of games where they're all high-fiving each other on the bench through the fourth quarter. Um, it has it has not been super smooth sailing for Boston, but I, I think they've kind of weathered the storm. And like you said, Kyrie Irving has been ridiculous this season. Um, if he's not top ten, he's certainly top fifteen and like knocking on the door of top ten this season. So when when you have that number one guy who's a legit top ten player, everything else can kind of fall into place, I guess, unless you're the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been sort of, a not, not quite what we expected, but still a solid season to this point for the Celtics. So that's what I, I gave them a B minus as well. I know, I know Dan already said that, but and we might even be, they're 11 games over 500. We're talking about their struggles, which is, yeah, it just speaks to the expectations that they have, but they've been. I mean, they have the third best net rating in the league in, in victories. You could probably, I could probably talk myself into a B, but they have not. You know, when you're in that B minus C plus B range, that's basically meeting expectations. And I don't think that they've necessarily met expectations when looking at the big picture. And forget about, you know, they're right there in the East, but the the Terry Rozier uh, stuff specifically, the, the Gordon Hayward and his recovery from injury, um, Jalen Brown and, and kind of just begging for – uh, more consistency from him, which again, I, I, they've they've gotten for just large segments. He's probably the least of their concerns at this point. I am interested interested to see uh, how this how the rotation kind of finishes the season. I don't think we're going to see all these guys um, coming off the bench all year, but it, it, there are just so many more questions than I thought that than I thought that we would have. And again, maybe that's on us. Like maybe this just should have been assumed because Gordon Hayward was coming his way back from a huge injury. They were integrating another star into the fold and that this was all going to be sort of a jumbled mess for a while. Um, you think they'll put uh, Hayward and Brown back in the starting lineup at some point? One of them, right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know like, I don't know when, but it just, I can't. I would be surprised if we go into the postseason and both Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward are, are still coming off the bench. I guess I wouldn't be shocked. I, I just feel like they've been – maybe Hayward gets his legs back underneath him at some point. Um, I, I was looking at his game log as we've been talking. He's he's had basically two good games this entire season, and they were both against the Minnesota Timberwolves, which was kind of funny. Um, if you If you take out – 
Gordon Hayward versus everyone in the league but the Timberwolves. He's averaging 9.8 points, shooting 39.9% from the field and 29.5% from three. Um, yeah, he is. he has not been one of the top 100 players in the league this year, which is a miss. Yeah, it's uh, – and like you said, maybe we should have we should have just thought he needs the entire season all along. But I I thought he would be even even maybe a slowed down version of himself. I thought he'd be a little bit more effective than this. I, I do think it's helped him to come off the bench a little bit. But but maybe you're right. Maybe eventually it they covers think, up some of like the efficiency problems because he's going up against different yeah. sorts of lineups. And he's kind of he's kind of the main playmaker for a lot of those bench units, which is something that I think he's still been solid at this season, but um, I guess just like the team, it just hasn't been as smooth sailing as we thought it would be. Yeah, but him and the Terry Rozier stuff. Again, Jalen Brown has, has leveled off for the most part, still a little bit more swinging than I think you'd want. And then again, I guess they've they've beaten out expectations in the sense that Marcus Morris is just on That's fire true. this year. And He's again, helped a lot. Yeah, and Marcus Smart, again, his three-point shooting coupled with his defense. I'm adding a... Uh... I'm adding that note about Marcus Smart's. Uh, that we should. That should probably just be the key stat. I don't know why. Why I highlighted uh, Boston's offensive efficiency since, since when everyone thought that they were probably a little bit worse on offense. But that does bring us to the Brooklyn Nets. They are 13th in offensive efficiency, 20th in defensive efficiency, 18th in net rating, and 25 and 23 overall. Uh, two games over 500 in sixth place in the East. We both gave them B minuses last time. I'm going to spoil your grade again and say that we both gave them A minuses this time. I'm not even sure really where the A minuses are coming from. They still have some defensive things to to work out, but they've even competed on that end of the floor uh, on certain nights, and they are dealing with a a ton of injuries. Jared Dudley's banged up. Alan Crabb's banged up. Karis LeVert is still out. I don't know how much any of those guys really help their defense. I think LeVert definitely could. Still, this is just the job being done in Brooklyn right now is is absolutely phenomenal. I have two key stats for them just to kind of show how they've turned a corner. They're one of the knocks against not well not against them, but one of the questions about them was can Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell play together? And while Kenny Atkinson still seems to like only closing the games with one of them. Since December 1st, when these two shared the floor, the Nets are a plus 4.6 points per 100 possessions. Not only that, their defensive rating during those minutes is a 96.3. Wow. So that that took me back a little bit. And then the knock against this team was that they could not win close games at the beginning of the season. And that's where you saw like the, there weren't many of them, but there were the hot take Twitter artists that were since last season really have said that Kenny Atkinson needs to be fired. And I always laughed when I saw that Um, before December 1st, they were four and 10 in crunch time situations with a negative with a minus 23.9 net rating since December 1st, they are 10 and four in crunch time with a plus 6.8 net rating. So they are winning close games now. They are they're just so deep when you look at their their talent. I mean, we're talking about a team that gets Travion Graham back and then all of a sudden starts playing him key minutes, whether it be in crunch time or, or putting him uh, with the starting lineup. Uh, Rodion Kurutz has been a uh, a revelation for them. Spencer Dinwiddie is still good. Jared Allen is an absolute monster. 
it's just looking at this team from from top to bottom. Everyone is just they come at you every single night. I think that's been a compliment they've routinely gotten under Kenny Atkinson. Uh, Joe Harris as well, still just shooting the lights out, and he can do more stuff with the ball in his hands than people uh, really give him credit for. That they're now just in the playoff races. It's like it's not astounding because when you watch them play, it just makes sense. But this rebuild, their picks were just gone, their own picks for basically forever. And and yet now they're back into the playoffs um, during year three of Kenny Atkinson. So it's just this team is I don't really know what you what the what you do to really nitpick against them at this point. Yeah, I don't really know either. <laughs> um like you said, <clears throat> maybe we're even being a little bit too uh, tough of graders by putting that minus on there. Um, they're up to sixth in the Eastern Conference, which is just crazy. Um, they've <laughs> they've been really, really solid this season. I don't know how much I have to add to that. I I, I love the Russell and Dinwiddie potential, uh, but it's it's been the net rating has been comfortably negative for two seasons. And I didn't realize that if you filtered it since December 1st, it was solid. So that's, that's really encouraging that they're starting to figure out how to play together because um, I think that's kind of the future of the NBA is multiple guys who kind of have shooting guard size, but still have all the point guard skills. Um, it it kind of helps Brooklyn play some positionless basketball at some point, they may get Karis LeVert back this season, too, which is really enticing. Um, those three and Joe Harris on the floor together could be really, really interesting with uh, Jared Allen obviously protecting the rim. They've they've just got a lot of um, really encouraging signs here. And I know everybody's been patting Sean Mark on the back for two or three years, however long he's been there, but I think he deserves it to <laughs> to turn the team around. Um, as quickly and efficiently and, and cleverly as Sean Marks has, I think he deserves all the credit in the world. Um, and boy, that D'Angelo Russell for Brooke Lopez trade just looks worse and worse <laughs> for the Lakers. Especially um, because they didn't bring Brooke Lopez back this season, who would have been perfect for them. Your rental. Um, and Russell now, he's... He's up to 55th in the NBA in that average rankings thing that I do. So he's he's if he hasn't completely turned the corner yet, he's the corner is within sight uh, for him. He's he's been really good here the last few weeks. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm totally with you there. That brings us to is the Hornets. He their, is he their best prospect now to you? Um, I, I guess he's kind of been their best prospect to me the whole time. I know I've been like on and off the bandwagon. Um, I've I've been someone's tagging me on Twitter every five seconds whenever <laughs> D'Angelo Russell does does something well, and I've caught I, shit from I, other people too. I've seen those. Yeah, um, it's he's he's exceeding my expectations. I was wrong to be out on him. It's still okay to me to like any one of Dinwiddie, Allen, or or even Karis Levert. A little yeah. bit better, and um, I don't. I don't think Kuruks. I don't. I didn't know you were going to finish the sentence that way. Kuruks is really exciting too. I don't think I'd put him ahead of any, ahead of any of those those guys. Yeah, uh, now you're going to start a war if you put Kuruks in front of him. Yeah. Um, but I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be Russell. The other the other factor in this is Dinwiddie's 25, Levert's 24, and Russell is only 22. Um, yeah, that's. 
That's certainly fair to point out. It's I, I was wrong about D'Angelo Russell. I just I don't know if I'm ready to call him their best long-term prospect. I'm also just really high on on Jared Allen, but again, D'Angelo Russell is the one generating all-star buzz at this point. So wouldn't that be it'd be wild if you got into the all-star game? Anything's um, possible in the East. Yeah, Probably it really not that though, but anything's possible. That takes us to the Charlotte Hornets. They're 11th in offense. 19th in defense, 15th in net rating. They're 22 and 24. I gave them a B minus at the quarter pole. You gave them a B. Uh, I gave them a C this time. We're we're like right. We're we've only stepped so far. Yeah, we were just barely off on the Hawks. I went C plus B minus. We both uh, have C's here for the Hornets. So same grade on three of the four teams. Anyway, I had the key stat for the Hornets. Um, on November 17th and 19th, Kemba Walker scored 103 points in two games. Uh, at that point in the season, he was averaging 29.6 points uh, on a true shooting percentage just over 60, 6.1 assists, and 4.1 threes, and Charlotte was 8-8. Eight and eight. <laughs> um, Since then, he's averaging 22.6 points on 531 true shooting, so about 7.5% worse. 5.4 assists and 2.83s and Charlotte's 14 and 16. Um, and the reason I highlighted the records eight and eight and 14 and 16 aren't that much different, <laughs> but I just, as I was looking that up, I thought Kemba Walker basically has to be Superman for this team to just play 500 basketball. Um, and it, maybe it's encouraging that they haven't fallen off too much as he's fallen off. But it's not encouraging that he's got to average close to 30 points on 60-plus true shooting for them to um, just play 500. I mean, I, I still think there's a chance they get into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. <clears throat> I don't even know what position they're in right now. They are currently – why can't I find They're this? in eighth. 22 and 24 is eighth. <clears throat> so they are in play the playoffs right now. Um Maybe they hold on to that spot. Maybe they don't. But I think we've talked about this a bunch of times. They're just sort of butting their heads against the ceiling that this team has for two or three years now. They're not going to get another level out of Nick Batum or Marvin Williams. Malik Monk is only in his second year, so it's probably not fair to cap his ceiling yet. But he doesn't look a whole lot different than he did as a rookie. It just sort of feels like they've taken this group as far as they can, and it's it's not <laughs> terribly far. But it's uh, I know you you've talked more than just about any about anybody about the kind of potential trades that the Hornets could make. Um, I, they're probably not at that point yet. I, I'm sure we would have gotten some kind of report if they were. Um, I, they'd probably dump the Batum contract as soon as they could if somebody was willing to take that, but. Um, Anyway, this is just sort of my long-winded way of saying they've they've sort of hit their cap, I think, and I don't know what they do from here if they keep this same roster. Yeah, if they're not going to trade Kemba Walker and there's been no indication that they will, there's not much they can do. Maybe you could pursue a Kevin Love trade, but without seeing him play post-toe injury, you don't really know what you get from him. They would have to probably exhaust every single asset they have to get in the conversation for Bradley Beal if he's even available. Mike Conley would be super interesting alongside Kemba Walker since the Grizzlies per Woj are, I don't know if they're ready to blow it up, but they're entertaining offers for both Gasol and and Conley. 
I don't know that you have, without including Nicholas Batum's contract, I don't know that you really have the assets to make that work. You could build something around Marvin Williams and, and MKG, I guess, but I don't know how much that elevates your ceiling and uh, the injury risk there with Conley. Then again, you're not going to have cap space for a couple summers if you keep Kemba Walker and you're not a free agency destination anyway. And I know Hornets fans kind of tire of hearing about the whole Kemba Walker versus like carrying this team on his own line. It's just so true. And there was a point at the beginning of this year where the Hornets were starting to survive on offense without him. And it's, it's, it's not happening anymore. And they, one of the biggest problems with this roster is that the person they are paying to be their second best player has been their sixth or seventh best player or fifth best player or something like that. Batum has the lowest usage rate on the Hornets. Bismack Biombo has a higher usage rate than Nicholas Batum. Huh. You can't play max money for someone to finish such a small percentage of plays and to just be just this low volume, sometimes non-existent uh, factor. And that's really where they've missed is they've yet to put a viable number two around him. Right now, their second best player is probably Jeremy Lamb or a healthy Cody Zeller, and that's just not going to cut it. I don't know what types of trades they can pursue to really improve the team then. It, it's They're like in an all-or-nothing type of scenario. They can't really make that minor swing that could make them you know, maybe four or five wins better this season and, and be comfortably in the playoffs. They either have to just consolidate all their assets um, and, and take a risk on a, on a bigger name who's not necessarily a sure thing, or they have to hold hold serve and hope that things somehow resolve themselves over the the off season. And so I'm I'm right there with you, like you, as you said, I gave them a C as well. And that takes us to the Chicago Bulls. Um, oh, and also yeah. just something to highlight: Kemba Walker's workload. Uh, James Harden is the only player in the NBA who is uh, averaging more pull up attempts per game. And Kemba Walker ranks eighth overall in the NBA in contested shot attempts per game. That's the type of workload that he's dealing with in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. It's, it's uh, very high. All right, the Bulls. Um, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I didn't really know where to go with the Bulls. Do you have their titles? Oh yes, that that's a good place to start. Thank you. Thirtieth um, in offense. Thirtieth <laughs> in offense. Twenty fourth in defense. Twenty ninth in net. They're eleven and thirty six. Uh, we each gave them a D at the quarter pole. I gave them a D plus. Now I, I'm not like as I look at it, I don't even know why I gave them a plus. Um, before we started recording, I told you that I was I was going to try to um, needle Jim Boylan, but they have. They're pretty much exactly the same in terms of offense, defense, and net before and after the Fred Hoiberg firing. So shout out to him for maintaining where they were. Uh, instead, I looked at Jabari Parker. Um, the Bulls are minus 9.3 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor, which is the 15th percentile. And they're minus 12.1 points per 100 possessions, which is the 8th percentile when he's off. Um their, I, what I would consider their three big acquisitions over the last two years, uh, Jabari Parker, Laurie Markin, and Zach Levine, those three guys have only shared the floor for 51 possessions the entire season. And Chicago's minus 0 0.3 points per 100 possessions, which is the 49th percentile um, in those situations. Obviously, that's a minuscule sample size. That's like half of one NBA game. 
and I kind of get why they haven't shared the floor a whole lot. I, I was, um, one thing I think they've done right is play a lot of minutes to Wendell Carter Jr. I, he's clearly the center of the future, and so it's hard to get Carter, Parker, and Markkinen all on the floor at the same time. But you would think at some point they would have at least tried to play those three guys that they've they've spent um, assets and literal cap space on over the last <clears throat> two seasons. Try to get those three guys on the floor together. Um just to see what you've got. I I know they, they kind of sent Parker home for a while and suddenly he's playing again. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't I don't know what's going on there. It's hard to imagine them bringing him back next season. I know the second year is not guaranteed, but um, just a little bit, a little bit more creativity with lineups, uh, maybe playing those three guys together. Um, I I really don't know how to analyze the Bulls at this point. I mean, they, they just kind of are what they are. I don't think anybody could have expected them to be very good this season. Um, and so here we are. Uh, I just, like, like I said, they've kind of maxed out the roster with Charlotte. I feel like they've maxed out the front office with Chicago. I don't know. Yeah. About how, five years ago. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you expect to take another step uh, in a meaningful, positive direction. If you just keep, um, the same guys making all the decisions. I, you know, it's just it's hard to see where they go from here. I wonder what the logic was for them to just put Jabari Parker back in the rotation. And there was never an explanation for it. There was an explanation for him being sent home and not playing anymore, and then all of a sudden he was just playing again. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. Maybe they're trying to showcase him. <laughs> well, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> put him in a trade. I wonder. Um, as you talk, I'm going to look up like what he's done since he came back. Well, so I gave so I, as I said at the Western Conference podcast, I'm only going to give out one A plus, which I gave the Denver Nuggets, and I'm going to give out one F, which I was on the fence about whether I was going to give to the Bulls or just not use it all. I'm still giving it to the Bulls. If you're going to be bad, at least be bad somewhat quietly, and yeah. just with all the stuff going on with Boylan, they haven't done that. The Parker stuff. Uh, they really haven't done that. They're, they've been a little bit better defensive, or they've been better defensively since he's taken over, but their offense, you, know, you talk about creativity, it's just some of the least inventive stuff I've ever seen. I guess they don't have the the personnel to do anything, but they're 30th in offensive efficiency since he took over. They are, in effective field goal percentage, they are 28th uh, during that time. They aren't a team that gets to the foul line. They're 30th in free throw rate since he took over. They're not a team that protects the ball. They're 28th in turnover percentage since he took over. Uh, their offensive rebounding percentage is right around the bottom, too, since he took over. It's uh, 26. They're up to 26. They were at 28th the last time I looked. So congratulations yeah. to the Bulls. And their their shot profile is just not, is not good. Uh, Zach Levine is getting to the rim more than ever, but the Bulls are 28th in three-point attempts per 100 possessions uh, with Boylan at the head. It's just, I, they're, they have some bright spots. Uh, Lori Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., injured now, and he was going through kind of a slump, but uh, he's still really fun to watch, and it looks like they might have a blueprint to a not-hopeless rebuild when you 
consider him again marketing and even Zach Levine. I know his efficiency has been all over the place this year, but his role is not easy. He's taking a ton of difficult looks that he's shooting 49.1% from two point range. Uh, when many of his jumpers and shots are just unassisted is, is actually impressive to me. There are bright spots there, but look, whenever you almost have a mutiny during the first week of a new head coach on the job, there there's an issue and they've just been unable to be, quietly bad which I think is an issue and and the whole stuff with Jabari Parker uh, that I I support them not moving Robin Lopez or buying him out now rather um until they exhaust every option at the trade deadline the Jabari Parker stuff you need to just get over like somehow and I'm also maybe preemptively penalizing them for not showing a willingness to take on bad salary in exchange for picks and prospects uh there was that report from I believe it was Woj that those have been non-starters for the Bulls when they're talking about Jabari Parker and Robin Lopez trades. They don't want to take on money, and I, I think that's the wrong mindset for them to have. Yeah, when you're at this point in a rebuild, you got to be willing to at least explore that. Um, here's some fun numbers for you. So Parker's been back for five games. He's averaging 16.7 minutes, 13 points, um, 4.2 rebounds, shooting 58% from the field, 54% from three, and he's a plus 0.2. Um, per 36 so showcasing minutes, him as working is what you're saying. <laughs> per 36 minutes in those five games, he's averaging 28 points, nine rebounds, 4.3 assists. Um, obviously, the shooting percentages don't change. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm out on Jabari Parker as a Chicago Bull. I'm not, I'm not totally out on him in the right situation somewhere else. Are you um, going to start banging the Jabari to Utah drum again? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of out on that. Um, Fine. Although I still think there are so many players that I think just haven't been in the right situation um, and haven't been coached quite right. Like he had Jason Kidd for his entire time in Milwaukee, and now he's in this dumpster fire of a situation in Chicago. So I think it would be really interesting if he was somewhere where he was exclusively a four, maybe even some like small lineup five um, with a team that if not encouraged, uh, taught him to play some defense. Uh, <laughs> I, I still think there's a roadmap to some level of success for him. I have a question that just popped into my head. Um, if you had to pick one or the other, would you take him or Wiggins? Are, are, are contracts a thing? If we're uh, factoring in contracts, I'm taking Jabari Parker hands down. Yeah, say let's throw out contracts. That's tough. I think I'm probably still Parker. I, I think he's wow. shown chops as a playmaker. I think he's yeah, clearly – I think he's, he's been an efficient scorer at times when you look at kind of what he's done with the Bucks. So – yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. Just an interesting thought experiment. Um, all right, I think we're done with the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the Cavs, another team that it's really just hard to, I, I, I don't know, look at. Uh, they're 24th in offensive efficiency, 30th in defensive efficiency, and 30th in net rating, a uh, record of 9-39. and 39. You gave them an incomplete the first time overall, and I'm laughing now, and people know I soon. I gave them a C-. minus. I don't tend to give out incompletes. I gave them a C. I just, they're they're playing the, 
the right players. Um, I don't. I, I don't know that you can look at them and say that their their guys have developed. They don't have a ton of guys to develop, but this team is barren, and they've already sh- they are one of the only teams that have shown a willingness to take on salary beyond this season. They're they're letting Colin Sexton kind of get his run. Uh, the the key stat I have for them is more curious than not, and I'm giving them a C, or you could throw them in the C minus area as well, just because I don't think you look at this roster and can expect them to be any better than they are. If you want to dock them for the fact that they should, that the front office should have realized they were going to be uh, in a rebuild post LeBron sooner than they did, then yes, absolutely, give them a lower grade. They this this surprised me when I looked this up. Cleveland is tenth in. Uh, or excuse me, the 16th in turnover percentage this year. And I would have just expected them to be worse. Uh, you have, when you remove Kevin Love from the equation and his four-game sample size, Jordan Clarkston and Colin Sexton are your players with the two highest usage rates. You've been relying on Alec Burks. Cameron Payne has sprinkled his way into the rotation when he was there. Uh, it just, it, I would have I would have thought they would have coughed the ball up at a higher rate. And... It's like uh, that they haven't is almost impressive to me. I know that that's kind of, I just didn't want to focus on the negative. Colin Sexton shooting better from three than I thought. Uh, the fact, however, though, that he is shooting 38.9% from three while while having a true shooting percentage below 50 is actually really impressive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of anyone, I actually looked this up too. And this, I didn't want to make it a key stat because it was too, it was too like in a wheelhouse, but of everyone in NBA history who's attempted at least 100 threes and shot 38.8% or better on them, Colin Sexton, 2018-2019 Colin Sexton has the fifth lowest true shooting percentage of that field. It's impressive I'm- to have a true shooting percentage below 50 when you're shooting um, that high of, of a clip from three. So That's hard to understand how that's even possible. It's, I mean, he's not shooting poor at the free throw line either. He's, I think he's at 86% or around there right now, 86.1%. Uh, he doesn't take a ton of threes, just uh, 2.7 attempts per 36 minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. – but it's still. He's taking 11 twos. There you go. Yeah, it's – I mean, that's where you – that's where he's killing himself. He's 41.8% um, on two-pointers, only shoots uh, 54.7% around the rim, 26.7% from floater range. I, I don't, but again, that this team doesn't turn the ball over more, more, uh, given who their primary ball handlers are, actually impresses me. So I thought I'd go with sort of a a happy stat there. I get it's it's just really tough to judge this team, and and perhaps spoiler alert, your grade is just better for for that exact reason. Yeah, they got an incomplete for me at the quarter mark, and they get an incomplete now. <laughs> um, and I think my reasoning for it. The first incomplete was they hadn't traded Kevin Love yet, and they still haven't traded Kevin Love. So um, that just—he's but he's injured and not even playing. I don't even know how that's like part of your. Is, it it may be hard for them to trade him this season <clears throat> if he doesn't play at all. Um, I, I don't know how many teams are willing to take a swing on him when he's he's played in four games uh, the entire season. So maybe at this point I should give him a real grade and dock them for not trading him this offseason. When I when is when I when is when uh, I think they should have made the deal. But um, 
I, I, I haven't heard anything really about his progress. So maybe there's no chance that he comes back between now and the deadline. Um, but other than that, it's the Colin Sexton shot profile stuff is really interesting to me. Um, if you had to peg three guys on this team, I, I know I, for the Hawks, I said it was Collins, Young, and Herter, uh, and I felt pretty comfortable there. Can you can you pick three young players from this roster that you would confidently move forward with? Oh, confidently? Because <laughs> I guess you're, you, you kind of have to with Sexton, and it's too early to give up on him. Um, Jetty Osmond. Jetty Osmond's only 23, so I think he's got to be in there. Larry Nance is already 26 years old, um, but I I think that would probably that would be, be the extent of her. their young players. Yeah, um, Clarkson's 26, but I don't think you look at him as like a long term. Yeah, if we're not calling Larry Nance a young player. We're not Larry Collins Sexton. Is there are there any Cameron Payne believers still out there? I might be alone in in that regard. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I can join you on that one. How old is Cameron Payne? 24. So yeah, maybe there's there's still a little bit of development left there. Um, Jaron Blossom games even 25. Didn't realize he was that old. Yeah, it's crazy. They've they've got a bunch of guys who are young but not too young. So like you said at the outset, it's a good thing that they're willing, um, they're willing to play a little more ball in terms of you know taking back bad contracts in exchange for assets because they don't they don't really have a young core right now. And their, their primary goal at this point should be doing whatever they can to put that young, young core together. Is um, there any competition for Sexton as their best prospect? And I'm more or less asking how high are you on Jetty Osmond at this point? Um, I, I, I would say there's competition between those two. Osmond's three years older, but he's also bigger and he's he's a little bit more positionless which i think is more the future of the game than the call than a colin sexton type um i i don't know if it's just their offense i probably haven't watched cleveland enough this season i've seen them a few times but um you would think a 6-2 point guard would average a little bit more than 2.8 assists per game um that 2.8 assists to 2.3 turnover ratio is not very flattering. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that Colin Sexton needs to work on, but he is three years younger than Osmond. So he's got that going for him. But, um, gosh, I don't, I actually don't know if I can make that call between those two, three years is a big gap, but Osmond is bigger. And I think his game's a little bit more multifaceted right now. Fair enough. Um, that brings so you you copped out and gave them an incomplete just to refresh. Uh, that brings us to the Detroit Pistons, who are twenty fifth in offense efficiency, twelfth in defensive efficiency, twenty third in net rating, twenty and twenty six at this recording. You gave them a C plus for the first quarter grades. I gave them a B, which I just don't even remember doing. Uh, they're down to a C minus for me. They're I, I get that they're not deep but they they almost feel like identityless. it's blake griffin needs to play like a top 15 nba player every night and we're still probably gonna lose Uh, there when you look at their defensive standing it's i think it's natural to be like oh hey you know 12th in defense efficiency that's fine 
I'm not convinced that that's going to last, which is which are where my key stats are for them. Opponents are shooting 34.2% against them on wide-open three-pointers, which just has lucky written all over it. That's the third lowest mark um, on wide-open three-pointers in the league. Only the Lakers and Celtics opponents are shooting worse on uncontested trays. And when you look at their... Uh, when you just look at their defense around the rim, it is not it is not good. Andre Drummond in a vacuum has been okay uh, as a rim protector this year, but they are f- more than five points better per 100 possessions defensively without him on the floor. And Detroit overall gives up the worst field goal percentage at the rim of any team. There are just red flags all over the place, and they're, they're another franchise that just kind of looks locked into with what they had. They, they feel like a more extreme case of the Hornets at this point, except yeah. that Andre Drummond, I don't even, I don't know. Can you say Andre Drummond is better than Charlotte's second best player? I think you can still say he's better than Cody Zeller, but I'm out on him. I just don't know that I've seen, I understand that the passing was always going to drop alongside Blake Griffin, but his turnover percentage has only while having diminished uses, he's shooting a lower percentage from the floor and, and his turnover percentage hasn't really dropped by all that much. They're just, I don't know that I've seen a more least impactful, super high volume rebounder. Uh, and I don't know if it's the roster setup at this point, but this whole Detroit is better without Drummond on the floor defensively is is a multi-year trend. It, it, it predates Blake Griffin. And they're just, they're short on upside and they're even thinner on trade assets. I don't know what they're they're going to do when looking at the bigger picture and into the off season, uh, Stanley Johnson is going to be a restricted free agent. And he has made, I would argue zero improvement this year might've yeah. even regressed. Um, Luke Kennard. I like Luke Kennard. I don't know if the, the Pistons feel the same way. Really. His playing time is, has been sort of all over the place since he returned from injury earlier in the year. The Reggie Jackson stuff is, is concerning. I don't know what this team does from here, and they're not. They might still make the playoffs in the East, uh, but they're two games back in the loss column as we're recording this. And for them to get anything meaningful done at the trade deadline, they probably have to give up their first round pick. And I'm not sure that that's something you want to do just so you can get the seven or eight spot in the East. Yeah, um, I agree with all that. I <laughs> did you see what Duncan Smith tweeted about the Pistons the other day? I did not. Um, he's, I think he's been a guest on the podcast, um, for, for one of our season previews, but he said the summary of 2019's Pistons fandom, the organization has their best player since Isaiah Thomas. And I mostly just feel bad that he has to play here. Wow. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, Somebody in the comments pointed out that Grant Hill played in Detroit, which is probably a good thing to point out. But Blake Griffin has been stellar this season, and it's uh, like you said, it just it just sort of feels like they're locked into mediocrity right now. As you were talking about Drummond, I was just sort of um, looking at the the stat profile for the Pistons, and he's shooting less than or yeah, less than fifty percent from the field in an era where there are so many rim rolling centers who are shooting like around 60% or higher. Um, he's at 49.8% this season over the last five seasons. 
He's at 52% from the field. Um, he started his career in his first two seasons shooting over 60. And then I think for a while there, Stan Van Gundy was trying to turn him into a post player. Um, but Van Gundy's not there anymore. At some point, somebody needs to try and turn this guy into a rim-rolling center like a lot of the you know, really effective bigs are in the NBA right now. Um, he, you can still average like mid teens and points, just getting offensive rebounds and alley-oop dunks. Um, so <laughs> whatever they're doing with him offensively just isn't working. Um, I, like you said, it's, it's hard to really see, uh, a way out <laughs> for this roster. Um, I don't know if you want to trade Blake Griffin, but after that, like, how do you how do you move any of these guys? And I don't even I'm, know what you could. I would say Blake Griffin is movable. He's probably improved his trade value since coming to Detroit. I shouldn't even use the probably disqualifier there. But what are you recouping in that deal? Even if yeah. you did move him, you're not going to be able to start over just because everyone's still going to look at that contract and and they're not going to see it as a, maybe it's no longer this albatross, but including this season, he's still on the books for four years and 142.3 million. It's crazy. I think the one you'd, I mean, the one you'd like to move would be Reggie Jackson, but I don't know who's taken that deal. Almost $20 million for, um, I, I honestly don't even know what he provides. It would have to be for like Nicholas Batum or something like that, like moving him and John Moore for Nicholas Batum. Which would actually – I actually think that would probably make Detroit better. Uh, <laughs> Drummond's, Drummond's contract I don't know. Is, Bruce Brown is probably better than Nicholas Batum at this point. Yeah, you could have an argument there. Um, I didn't realize that Drummond's going to make close to $30 million over the next – each of the next two seasons too. He's, his contract's huge. I mean, they're they're one of these teams that's just uh, they've committed a ton of money to a top three that's probably not. It's just going to compete for like seventh or eighth in the East at best. So they're kind of stuck. I don't even know what I didn't even say what I gave them. I gave them a C. Um, I, I still think there's maybe a chance that they make the playoffs. In the East, Blake Griffin's been playing out of his mind. If he can get a little help from two or three other guys, maybe they maybe they figure that out some point down the road. Um, but right now, it's just sort of a blah experience. I think Duncan Smith's tweet was pretty telling. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, that would bring us to Indiana. They are 15th in offensive efficiency, second in defensive efficiency, and fourth in net rating, 31 and 15 overall. You gave them an A for the first quarter grade. I gave them a B plus. I have them up to an A minus now. They've been they found something within themselves when Victor Oladipo uh, missed time with that knee injury early in the season. They're more offense by committee now, and it, it sort of just shows Victor Oladipo's usage rate is down. I this team has been confusing me though, sort of since the turn of the calendar. It's like their their identities haven't flip flopped, but uh, they've struggled defensively, which probably coincides with the t- with the time that Miles Turner missed. Since January first, though, they're ninth in offensive efficiency and seventeenth in defensive efficiency, which just feels like a complete identity reversal from where they were at the beginning of the season. And then you you look at 
during this time. Uh, since January 1st, you have Victor Oladipo shooting under 33% from three. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovic is at 33.3% from three. So their two most talented scorers aren't really shooting the ball that well from the outside, and yet they're top 10 in offense since January 1st. Uh, I know Derek Collison has been shooting the ball really well. Uh, we know that Sabonis has been great this year. Thaddeus Young has just been filling all kinds of voids for them, really bridging that area between big and, and wing. Uh, it's still so good defensively. I, I really do like this team. They are so deep. Miles Turner has somehow become one of the most underrated players in the NBA. He he should finish, I would think, in the top three for defensive player of the year voting, top five at, at worst, if, if people are worried about him averaging under 30 minutes per game. They're... It's. I'm just. I'm curious to see just how this develops and whether this trend holds, where the offense has been outperforming their defense, because that's not the that has not been the identity of this team. Uh, perhaps at the beginning of last season, but over the second half of last year, and then for most of this year, it's been the the other way around. And so I just I found those just calendar flipping uh, splits a little interesting. The the key stat I had though was just a cell and that might be the key stat, but it was just a celebration of Miles Turner's rim protection. Uh opponents are shooting fifty-four point six percent against him at the rim, which is the fifth best mark in the league among everyone who is defending at least five shots at the rim per game. The only players in front of him are Joel Embiid, Hassan Whiteside, Serge Ibaka, and and your guy Javel McGee. <laughs> Started with your guy, and I thought you were going to say Gobert, and I'm so happy it was JaVale. <laughs> um, I gave him an A, <clears throat> and I think I gave him an A the first time. I think you said that, yeah. Um, they are right in the thick of it in the Eastern Conference. They're uh, how many games back are they of the? They're just like a, a two and a half games behind the first place Toronto Raptors. Um, and to be in this position when you missed Victor Oladipo for double-digit games is really impressive to me. And not only did he miss a bunch of time, he's he's not close to the player that he was last season. Um, maybe that's overstating it a little bit, but uh, his efficiency, it's a, his his shot difficulty, and the types of attempts he's taking really haven't changed, but his efficiency is down, and there's definitely more of an emphasis on him facilitating for the rest of the team. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's true. His his field goal percentage is down about five points. Three-point percentage is down about three points, but like you said, he's averaging one more um, himself. Anyway, for them to be in the thick of it with him missing a bunch of time and him not quite being the same player that he was last season is really just impressive to me. Um, and they, like you said, they have this really strong, balanced attack now. Uh, after him, between Bojan Bogdanovich, who's at 16, and Corey Joseph, who's at 7.2, and we could even go to McDermott at 6.7, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight guys. Um, contributing in in a fairly meaningful way to uh the points that they're scoring so they have a nice balanced offense they have like you said one of the best defenders in the league in miles turner i i still don't think that tyreek evans has given them what he can like if if they ever get 
the Tyreek Evans that played in Memphis last season, I think there's maybe another level to this team. And, and I, again, I think Oladipo can be better too. So this is a team that's just sort of cruising along with a chance to get even better. So I, I expected them to be a comfortable playoff team this season. I didn't really expect them to be in that mix for, for home court advantage or this, this like solidly in that mix. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been just fantastic overall. And if you're going to say that Tyreek Evans hasn't really shot the ball well all year, what you're getting from Victor Oladipo, just looking at his efficiency, he's he's still a good defender. And again, I think he really helps with just the space and the chaos that his, his dribble penetration creates for them. Uh, and just the threat of him really changes the way that defenses have to approach the Pacers. They've had a, they've had a fantastic year. We did, however, uh, we're only about halfway through the Eastern Conference, so rather than keep you guys here for another six hours, we, we are going to cut it off. I did want to ask you, though, really quick, Andy, uh, the report came from Woj, the, I think it was yesterday, we're recording this on a early Wednesday morning, and it came on Tuesday, I believe, that the Grizzlies are open to entertaining offers for Mark Gasol or, or Mike Conley. Do you expect either of them to get moved by the trade deadline? Um... Which one of those two do you think has more trade value? It's Conley, right? It's tough. To, I would say yes, because he's having a good season. But when you when you look at, you know, including this year, he's at three years and $97.5 million. Yeah. That's just a lot with his injury history. And is there a team out there that might see value in Gasol potentially declining his $25.6 million player option? And he and that player option is for nineteen twenty. Yeah, that does make it a little bit. If we're if you take contract out of the equation, I think it's Mike Conley, and it's not even close at this point. Yeah. I I think I might go Conley uh, either way, but it's got to be a team. It seems like just about the entire league has cap space uh, this summer, but. Maybe there's some team out there that just doesn't – they think we're we're not going to land anybody anyway, so we might as well take a swing at it now. Um, and maybe you just kind of talk yourself into Mike Conley being your free agent acquisition. Um, it's fitting that we closed on the Pacers just because they were the team that NBA Twitter was talking about as the perfect destination for Conley. The I, logistics I, of getting him there are really difficult because I don't know – they have the expiring money to make it work, but who do you actually want to trade from that Pacers roster? But yeah, like well, we were just talking about them, and they're so solid, and I think their depth is a big part of what makes them good right now. But um, you know, there are arguments for consolidating depth into star players. Um, does it possibly raise their ceiling in the playoffs a little bit if they've got Mike Conley starting instead of Darren Collison? I, I certainly think. <laughs> Mike Conley's a better player than Collison, but maybe maybe Collison is just as good of a fit as Mike Conley would be. Um, I'd like to see him in Charlotte next to Kemba Walker. You mentioned that earlier, and it's kind of hard to wrap my head around uh, their their deficiency in size. <laughs> fair, Those, fair. Uh, on the court at the same time. But it would certainly be interesting offensively to see those two guys out there together. That'd be really, really tough to defend. Um, I, I need to think about this a little bit more and actually look at some teams that might go after him. I know that there's a lot of jazz fans that are like all in, I'm going to get 
Mike Conley. Um, but I, the stuff you mentioned is worrisome to me. I, you know, the long contract, the injury history, um, it's, it's not a no brainer to me for whichever team acquires him. Because if you, if you get a guy that you're going to have to pay $30 million a year for the next, what is it? Four years or is it three years after this one? Um, and he, he only gives you, I don't know, 40 games per season. That's, uh, well, that's a gross underestimate. I mean, that's like, that's the, the extreme end of the spectrum. No, that's worst case scenario. Right. Uh, if you get him and he gives you 60 to 65 games a season, I mean, he's still missing big chunks of each year, but that's probably still decent value for certain teams. Does it maybe is the way I phrased it screwing you up. So Conley's deal has two years after this one. So it's actually two years and $67 million. I was just including this season and the total commitment. Does that make you feel any better when it's spun in that context? Maybe a little bit. Um, I guess back to your original question, I think if I think if I had to pick one that's more likely to be traded this season, I'm probably going to go with Conley. Um, really? Yeah. I'd, neither one is a spring chicken, but Marc Gasol is 34, um, and he's been he's been all over the place offensively for two seasons. I think he still brings some value as a defender, and the, for the first like. <laughs> Two or three weeks of this season, he was number one in real plus minus, which was um, kind of shocking. And advanced numbers still are, are fairly high on him. But I, I just feel like there's probably more teams that can talk themselves into a guy who's still sort of in the back end of, back end of his prime and averaging 20 points a game um, in a league that I think still really, really loves playmakers and guards. Um so if I had to go with one, I'm probably going Conley. It sounds like you're going to go with Gasol. Right. And if I if I had to pick the player that was going to get them a bigger return in a trade, I would pick Conley. But the Grizzlies, just based off everything we've seen, it sort of feels like they will they would rather trade Gasol. Maybe they feel like they're going to lose him and they recoup anything for his departure. And then they're just going to try and do it all over again next season and get back to the playoffs with Conley and Jaron Jackson Jr. And then maybe uh, their first round pick, assuming that in that scenario, it wouldn't convey to the Celtics. That seems like the more likely scenario to me. And with Casola's free agency coming up again, I think the fact that he could be a flight risk since uh, Mark Stein of the New York times reported last week that there's the increasing belief around the league that Gasol is going to decline that player option. I think there'd be extra motivation there to, to move Gasol. They should probably move both and really just try and start over. But they, I don't I don't know if the Grizzlies have the stomach or think that they have the stomach for a full tilt rebuild. I would still think Gasol's the most likely one to get moved and that Conley's the more valuable player at this point. I can see that. And there has been at least some friction between Gasol and the organization over the last couple of years. So maybe that's a factor as well. But um I, I think what they should do is move both. You, you just mentioned that, but I just don't know if they'll, um, you know, there's a lot of smart, small market teams who understandably are uh, hesitant to, to go into a full blown tear down and rebuild. But I think that's probably where they're at. The last, last thing I want to ask you is Shams reported Tuesday night that Anthony Davis will see a hand specialist um, in fear that his hand injury might be a little bit more serious. Uh, 
called it a uh, volar plate avulsion fracture in his left index finger, potentially, which would make force Anthony Davis to miss two to four weeks. If Anthony Davis is missing the next month of basketball, the Pelicans can't afford to go a week or two, let alone four. Yeah. I uh, don't, I, I'm just, what do they do? What do they do? They're in and out. You can't, you can't tank. Even what are you right before you're supposed to give Davis a designated vendor and extension? You're going to shut him down for the rest of the year. Trade Julius Randall. Maybe you keep Miritich because you're going to have his bird rights, and then hope that you're able to lose more than the Mavericks, Pistons, Wizards, Magic, Grizzlies, Hawks, Bulls, Suns, Knicks, Cavaliers. I they're in this impossible situation. Yeah, I don't know what you do either. Um, they're 22 and 25 right now. They are currently eighth in the West uh, based on percent chance of getting into the playoffs um, from 538. And if he misses three or four weeks, like you're saying, that percentage is just going to fall off a cliff over the next couple of seasons. Although they, they just crushed the Grizzlies without Davis, and that's, that's the Grizzlies. Um, they're going to have <laughs> they're going to have tougher opponents than that while Anthony Davis is out and any kind of slippage in the West right now can be just devastating. Yeah. Yeah. For your playoff hopes. Um, the Clippers have fallen off a bit, but they're still in the mix. The Timberwolves are just kind of hanging around. The Kings are just kind of hanging around. Um, the Lakers are going to get LeBron back pretty soon. Um, this is, if, if if you want to make the playoffs, this is not a good time or a good conference to be in to not have your best player for <laughs> a month. So Fair assessment. <laughs> this is a precarious, uh, precarious moment for the New Orleans Pelicans for sure. I'm with you. Um, I think that wraps us up. Like Dan said, we only got about halfway through the Eastern Conference. Uh, we were joking about having to talk about the East, and then we were. Uh, we were going much longer on some of these teams than we did on the West. So it was all uh, your were, Jabari Parker optimism that derailed yeah, us. Yeah. We're going to be back with more Eastern conference optimism later this week. We'll, we'll finish up the Eastern conference. So you'll have everyone's grades. I know you're dying to have the complete report card before the end of this week. So we will provide that for you. But until then, uh, if you want to talk to us about the teams that we've already discussed, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favale, F A V A L E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA, NBA underscore math. Um, as Dan said, we sincerely appreciate all the ratings and the reviews and the subscriptions that we already have, but we are we're greedy and we're needy and we, uh, we want multiple of both of those things. So if you've already done those three things, encourage your friends uh, to hop on board and listen to some Hardwood Knox and talk about our hot takes uh, on your lunch breaks with them. Um, and until next time, we'll leave you with a shout out to Ben Audrey and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.